Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to When Opportunity Knocks. I'm your host, Nancy O'Keefe, and we'll be spending the next hour talking about effective communication. You know, the higher you want to go in your career, the better you want to do in your business, you need to have great communication skills. And there are way too many misunderstandings in the world. We find people don't hear what we're saying, they don't listen, the world's a really busy place, and it's tough to make sure that The communication that you send out lands the way you want it to. And we're going to talk about how you can work to improve that for yourself a little bit today. So today's format will be more workshop-oriented, and I hope you enjoy it. So we're talking about the effective communication skills that you need in your business and in your career to, again, increase your value in the marketplace. Communication is all around us, and we're constantly giving it or receiving it in nanoseconds. And no doubt there's lots of it going on in each of your lives, but the real question is, how effective is it? What result does it get you? And does it get you the result you want? Let's face it, excellent communication skills are probably the most potent career and personal skill any of us can have, because we have the ability to speak, yes, but do we do it effectively? And just because we have the ability to hear, it doesn't mean we're really hearing what someone else is saying to us. So no matter what the life circumstance, no matter what the job situation, the ability to communicate effectively with others can have a major impact on our job performance and on the quality of our relationships with everyone we come in contact with. In today's high-stress, fast-paced, 90-mile-an-hour world, it's more difficult than ever to take the time to be a good communicator. So just how difficult is communication? What gets in the way of us being more successful with our communication with others is a real mystery for some people. So we're going to take a minute to explore that a little bit. And I'm going to give you a couple of examples of some miscommunications, and then we'll talk about those. So here's the first example. Kathy was busily working away at her desk after she had just received a complaint email from a customer, and she was trying to focus on her work, but was still a little irritated by that customer's comment. Now, you know how that can be. You just can't seem to let it go. It's upsetting. And Kathy's boss, Joe, passed by her desk on the way to another meeting. And he stopped and asked about the status of one of their projects. And Joe went through his list of tasks and asked Kathy the status of each one of the items. And the more questions that Joe asked, the more defensive Kathy became. What's going on, Kathy, he said. Do you have too much to do? No, I'm fine, she said. Well, if you need help, let me know. Later that day, Kathy was chatting with a coworker at lunch, and she said the following, You know, it's really obvious Joe doesn't think I can handle my workload. He was all over me about the deadlines today and asked if I had too much to do. 
He obviously thinks that I'm incapable of doing my job and managing my responsibilities. Hmm. Okay, let's take a look at another example. In this example, we have Katie. And Katie is the proud owner of two beautiful, fully grown ferrets. One day, she was out walking them, imagine that, in the neighborhood when an elderly man approached her. What are those? And Katie said, they're ferrets. The elderly man acted surprised and said, no way, those aren't parrots. Katie was quick to clarify, no, she said, they're ferrets, you know, like little weasels. And the elderly man scratched his head, rubbed his chin, and then said, hmm, those are eagles? And here's the last one for you. I love this one. I've had actually had experience with this example, and I'm sure some of you have too. 17-year-old Amanda wanted to attend a friend's birthday party. And when she asked her parents if she could go, her father said, yes, but only if you aren't going with any boys. Amanda enthusiastically agreed and said, you've got a deal. And on the day of the party, Amanda's friend Sarah picked her up. They went to the birthday party together. And when Amanda arrived at her friend's house, there were boys there. Guess what? Big surprise. And when Amanda thought back to what her father had said, she remembered that he said, she couldn't go with any boys. And since Sarah picked her up, she hadn't really broken any rules. The following week, Amanda's father ran into Sarah's father at the gym, and Sarah's father jokingly said, Can you believe our girls are old enough to be going to parties with boys? I wish I could go back to those days when they were just girls going to Girl Scout meetings. That evening, when Amanda's father came home, he was furious. <laughs> she argued that she couldn't go with any boys, not that there couldn't be any boys at the party. <laughs> oh, We've heard three examples now of miscommunication. One of them being uh, misinterpretation based. One of them just plain not hearing what the person was saying. And one of them taking it too literally, in this case, working it to her advantage. But sometimes taking it too literally can really make a difference in how the communication lands. George Bernard Shaw once said that the problem with communication is the illusion that it has been accomplished. Interesting. So we all have the desire to connect with one another. Have you ever thought about communication in that way that we just want to be heard and understood? But despite the need to connect, it's difficult to truly express what we see, think, and feel because we're communicating from our own unique perspective. And everybody's perspective is different. But when we do truly connect with another person and they really get it, what, get what we're trying to tell them, then we feel a great sense of rapport, affinity, and maybe even kinship with that other person. And that's why communicate is so important. You have to really transcend your own isolation and look at it from both points of view. Connecting with someone else can be a real challenge because it's a two-way process. Think of a walkie-talkie versus a telephone. 
With a walkie-talkie, you have to press a button, speak your communication, and you can't hear the other person until you release the button. A telephone is true two-way conversation because you both can be speaking at the same time. And both have their pros and cons. But you can see how, using that metaphor, you can find ways to improve your communication by waiting for the other person to finish and then speaking, like in the walkie-talkie model, not talking over each other or thinking about what you're going to say next before the other person finishes. So it involves the sharing of information and it also involves the receiving of information. So the question is, was what you said received as you intended it to be? We all have situations where we've had to share something with someone else and it was completely misunderstood. I know I have. I know that Amanda's situation really resonated with me when my kids were teenagers. So where we communicate with each other, we need to be certain that we have connected, that we have really been understood. And we do that by following up or validating with the other person what they heard. When communicating, we have to make sure the message was received the same way we sent it. Remember that game of telephone where you played a game lined up in a row and the first person said something to the next person and the next person quietly whispered it to the one next to them and it went down the chain and at the end of the row there was a communication that didn't resemble how it started in any way, shape, or form. It was all done for fun, but <laughs> that really can happen in life. So we need to think about it from the receiver's perspective as well as from our perspective as the sender. And we don't need to just communicate. We need to do it really effectively. In most cases, it's not a lack of information that leads to poor communication or miscommunication, but instead, it's the way that send and receive happens. So here's a classic example of how even the simplest and most well-intentioned communication can lead to significant miscommunication. It all starts with a memo from the CEO to the manager, and it kind of goes like this. So listen to this story. See if you can relate. The memo from the CEO to the manager says, Today at 11 o'clock there will be a total eclipse of the sun. This is when the sun disappears behind the moon for two minutes, and it's something that cannot be seen every day. Time will be allotted for employees to view the eclipse in the parking lot. Staff should meet in the lot at 10 to 11, where I will give a short presentation introducing the eclipse and give some background information. Safety goggles will be passed out at a small cost to keep uh, everyone's eyes safe. Now the manager takes that information and creates a memo and sends it to the department head. And that sounds like this. Today at 10 to 11, all staff should meet in the car park. This will be followed by a total eclipse of the sun, which will appear for two minutes. For a moderate cost, this will be made safe with goggles. The CEO will deliver a short speech beforehand to give us all some information. This is not something that can be seen every day. All right, well, that wasn't too bad. Now the department head takes 
their take on the conversation and puts it in a memo to the floor manager. And it goes like this. The CEO will today deliver a short speech to make the sun disappear for two minutes in, front, in the form of an eclipse. This is something that cannot be seen every day, so st staff will meet in the parking lot at 10 or 11. This will be made safe if you pay a moderate cost. Starting to break down a little bit here. So the floor manager creates a memo and sends it to the supervisor. And it says, 10 or 11 staff members are going to the parking lot where the CEO will eclipse the sun for two minutes. This doesn't happen every day. It will be safe. As usual, it will cost you. And finally, the supervisor communicates it to the staff members, who are the ones that are supposed to head out to the parking lot to view this natural phenomenon, and it simply says this. Some staff will go to the parking lot today to, the to see the CEO disappear. It's a pity that doesn't happen every day. <laughs> now, that's an extreme example, but if you think back to when you were a kid, you can, I'm sure, remember playing that game and... That's kind of what happens as communication goes through the channels. We end up distorting it to the point where it's possible that our original message doesn't sound anything like what the person finally receives at the other end. So when you're communicating, there's some questions you can ask yourself to help you become more effective as you do it. So here are some points to ponder around your own communication and I'll go slowly on these so that you can write them down. This is a good list to have and keep so you can do sort of a what worked and what didn't on some of your communications where maybe you have a misstep. So the first one is, did you take full responsibility for the message being heard by the other person? Remember, it doesn't matter what you say, it only matters what the other person hears. So let me repeat that. Question one, or point one, is did you take full responsibility for the message being heard by the other person? Okay, point number two. Did you respect the other person's point of view? Meaning, did you have a reaction to what they were saying that prevented you from listening to their full message? Were you so busy processing it in your head or thinking of what you were going to say to rebut that you really didn't get the full message. So the, que the point to ponder, number two, is did you respect the other person's point of view? Number three, did the other person feel heard and understood? understood? Or in other words, did you acknowledge them, give them feedback that their communication was hitting? So point three, did the other person feel heard and understood? Point four, if you were asking someone to take a specific action, did you make your request clear? If you were asking someone to take a specific action, did you make your request clear and possibly detailed enough, or did you make assumptions? Point five, were you speaking in a way that the other person could understand, speaking in their communication style? So point five is were you speaking in a way the other person could understand. This can happen a lot in a, an environment where there's jargon or technical speak or um, you know some sort of um, abbreviations or uh, little 
known phrases outside the industry where you're really communicating in almost a language the other person doesn't understand. So point number six is, were you communicating openly without prejudices, expectations, or judgments? Were you putting your own values on it? Were you focused on having to be right or were you really looking at trying to hear the other person's point of view? This is a biggie. So point number six, were you communicating openly, meaning without prejudice, without expectations, and without making judgments on what the person was saying as they were saying it, but just taking it all in and then processing it and responding? Point number seven, did the other person leave the conversation feeling good? having gained some value from what you talked about? Did they leave frustrated? If they left frustrated, chances are your communication wasn't effective. So point number seven, did the other person leave the conversation feeling good? Did you get the sense that everybody felt heard and satisfied? Point number eight, did you leave the conversation feeling good? Did you gain some information or some value from the interaction? So point number eight is, did you leave the conversation feeling good and having gained some value from the interaction? Point number nine, did you follow up or validate to see if the conversation was successful? That it led to some desired result or you got what you needed out of it, the other person got what they needed out of it. So point number nine is, did you follow up or, or validate the conversation to see if things were successful? And you might do that by parroting back or summarizing. And point number 10, if the outcome of the conversation did not meet your expectations, what did you learn that you could improve to better communicate with that particular person in the future? So point number 10 is if the conversation did not meet your expectations and didn't go so well, what did you learn that you could improve to improve your own communication? So I hope those 10 points you find helpful and as you work through different communications, what I would recommend is that you take that list and when things don't go so well, you might just sort of go through the list and see if you can pick out the reason. Uh, and then you'll know that's something that you might want to work on to improve when you're speaking with that particular person or with people in general. So communication, which actually occupies about 70% of our waking hours, believe it or not, is what many people find the most frustrating. The fact is that we're never taught how to communicate in a way that produces desired results. So we continue to experience frustration, resistance, have conflicts, or breakdowns in our relationships. So if you want to be a better communicator, you can remember these points. There's vocal communication. That's the power of your voice. Your words, what you say when you're speaking, contribute 7% to the effectiveness of your message. That's less than 10% of the entire communication. Your voice, however, the sound that you make when you're speaking, contributes 38% to the effectiveness of your message. So 38% is how we sound. 
Do we sound engaged? Do we sound enthusiastic? Do we sound interested? Do we sound angry? Do we sound frustrated? Are we trying to have a negotiation but people are hearing our, you know, distaste or are, you know, upset in what we're saying? And then point number two, there's visual communication. And that's sort of that subconscious message. It's all about your body language. We're going to talk a little bit more about body language later on in this workshop. But what you do and how you look when you're speaking contributes a whopping 55% to the effectiveness of your message. You've got to walk the talk. And there's lots of eyes on you. So point number three, remember that people you're speaking with are looking back at you. And what they see is all the nonverbal communication, how you move your hands, what your posture is like whether you're making eye contact. And think about what's being communicated with your face, your facial gestures, how you carry yourself, how you place yourself in relation to the other person if you're talking, you know, face-to-face. Are you invading their personal space? What body movements? Are you looking closed off? All of that sends a subconscious message. And usually those are things that happen without our control. So we really have to be conscious of how we are doing. Maybe talk in front of a mirror is a good way to see if you have any really annoying hand gestures or facial expressions that you want to work on. So that's all about effective and uh, and not effective communication. And we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to examine some communication styles based on personality type. So stay tuned and we'll be right back. I'm looking for a certain kind of woman, and I think you know her. She's an entrepreneur that is highly connected, successful, significant in her own industry, and considered the go-to woman in her community. She's received so much from so many women in business, she's ready to give back to others on their journey, lifting as she climbs. Hi, this is Sandra Yancey, and I'm the founder and CEO of eWomen Network. I'm looking to connect with the woman I've just described who lives in your community so that we might have a conversation about how eWomen Network's proven success system can provide her a platform to elevate her success and ability to support women in business. Our international community of managing directors are influencing the speed of success for women in business around the world. If that sounds like something that you want to be part of or know someone we should talk with, send an email to managingdirector at eWomenNetwork.com. That's managingdirector at eWomenNetwork.com. And let's start the conversation. If operating your small business has you stressed, impacts your health, chips away at your relationship, and eats up all of your free time, Simple Small Business Solutions can help you implement business systems that make running your business easier. Whether you're trying to make more sales, struggling to get your marketing done, or want better information to manage your business, we can help. Visit us at simplesmallbusinesssolutions.com. Okay, we're back. And in this segment, I want to talk about the different personality types and their communication styles. Hopefully, you'll recognize yours and we'll give you some tips for dealing with people that have a different personality um, preference than you do. And in the last segment, we talked about communication being effective 
And this is certainly one of the key components of that. So let's just dive right in. So this is based on the Myers-Briggs type indicator. I'm an administrator for this, and uh, I find it to be a very useful tool um, in communication. So we have four different preferences that we measure with Myers-Briggs, extroverts versus introverts. That's how you put yourself out in the world, how you recharge your batteries. We also have how you take in information, which is either uh, sensing or through intuition. And then we have how you come to conclusion and make decisions, which is either through thinking or through feeling. And finally, we have your orientation, which is either judging or perceiving. And we'll talk in more detail about what each one of those means. But let's start by taking extrovert and introvert. And you probably all have a layman's definition of extroversion and introversion, but um, we're going to talk about it in terms of communication only. And their communication strengths are very different. The extroverts um, like to put everything right out in the world and get it out there and talk it over. That's how they process things. And the introverts really need to bring it inside and process it internally. So their mantra is sort of, I need to think about this. And if you think about a meeting, a business meeting that you may have attended, uh, you can always tell the extroverts in the room because they're immediately talking, very animated, um, very gregarious and outgoing, checking in with everybody, and um, probably starting to discuss the topics of the meeting before the meeting even starts. Um, probably have a few solutions and really could wind it up before the thing even gets going. On the other hand, the introverts, um, you know, they really want to come prepared. Um, they like to get an agenda ahead of time so that they have a chance to think about everything before they have to uh, discuss it or um, make any decisions about it. And it's just a very different style. So they're going to be the ones that are a little bit quieter in the room, at least initially. And sometimes it may appear that they uh, don't really have an interest. Um, they're not ready to talk about it until the meeting starts. And they're probably looking at the extrovert saying, what are you doing? We haven't even started yet. So it's just two very different styles. And just from my description of them, I'll bet you can see how um, there can be some real serious communication errors or problems between those two preferences. And it's very common in meetings for extroverts to um, jump in before the introverts have a chance or to talk over somebody, finish their sentence for them, um, you know, be thinking of what they're going to say next before it's their turn and so on. Those are, um, you know, all qualities of our very action-oriented extroverts. And, you know, there's no good or bad, right or wrong here. It's really all about having a diversity of people coming together on a communication or in a meeting or on a project because everybody has, um, you know, their gifts to bring. The extrovert might jump, dive right in, but the introvert is going to maybe think it through a little better and come up with some things because they had time to process it that the extrovert might miss. So it's all good. It's just understanding um, who you're dealing with can really help you make the communication more effective. So extroverts um, are very active, as I mentioned, energetic, enthusiastic, and they like to think on their feet. They're up walking around. 
um, good impromptu speakers. They uh, have lots of contacts and they have a breadth of interest. Um, they provide lots of information and feedback. They're, when you ask for an opinion, you're going to get one. And the introverts, they're a little bit more quiet, have a more calming presence, a little bit more reserved perhaps, and think it through carefully and thoughtfully. They would prefer to get to know the people and the situation well before moving on. They listen to others very well without interrupting. And they have more of a depth of interest and contacts, so they might have fewer interests or fewer connections, but they tend to go deeper. <coughs> so when you're working with um, extroverts, if you're an introvert, here are some things you can do to improve the communication. Acknowledge that you're listening and show them that you're preparing a response. Um, I'm thinking about that or, yep, yep, I'm just processing all that. And then provide some level of immediate feedback and verbal acknowledgement. They need that to know that they're being heard. And then, if needed, ask for some time to think about it. If this is a big communication or a big decision, um, you know, set the expectation that you want to think about it and give them a, a really good answer as opposed to just diving in and maybe missing something. And you really can seek um, opportunities with them to sort of slow down the process a little bit and um, just let them think out loud. They need to do that. They need to put it out there. And just because they're putting it out there and saying it doesn't mean that is actually going to be what the end conclusion is. So just give them a chance to spew it all out there, put it out in the world, because that's how they have to process it. They put it outside, they look at it, they massage it with their words, and then they'll come to a conclusion. If you're an extrovert and you're working with an introvert, you need to practice active listening skills. Make sure that you um, think before speaking and let them finish. Be respectful. Um, build trust. Try and control your your need to jump right into the conversation even before they're finished. And, you know, pause and wait for them to respond because they need time to process it before they jump in. So if there's empty space, silence, let it be. And just, it doesn't have to be filled with words. It can just be silence. And then those introverts will come back with a good response and good information if you give them the time to process it. It's helpful for them if you just stay on topic. Um, avoid making immediate decisions and just try to really work through a topic before moving on to another one. Hopping all over the place is not something an introvert likes. It's not a style that they're comfortable with because, again, they need to, to process it and think it through. So the next style that we have, this is how we take in information. It's the sensing and the intuitive uh, preference. And the sensors are just about the facts. Just the facts, please. Um, if anybody's old enough to remember the show Dragnet, oh, I'm really dating myself now, um, one of the detectives used to say that all the time, just the facts, ma'am. So he was definitely a sensing type. <laughs> 
Um, but then we have our intuitives. They're more big picture oriented. Their mantra is, I can see it all now. They're looking at the possibilities. They're um, able to come up with theories and concepts and kind of pull things out of thin air. If we wanted to look at some uh, individuals and try and understand these two preferences, we could look at Thomas Edison as being a sensing type because he tried filament after filament after filament when he was trying to uh, get the light bulb to work, as opposed to um, the intuitive Albert Einstein, who was working with concepts and theories, nothing concrete really about what was going on in his head, and yet he he pulled together the theory of relativity, which is amazing. So you can see two different approaches can both get good results. They're just different approaches. And respecting that, understanding it, and using it to your advantage makes communication so much easier. So a communication um, like tips that you can use with sensors is to be practical and find ways to bring the ideas down to earth. The intuitives are going to be pie in the sky, seeing all the possibilities, but at some point something has to gel up and be brought into concrete terms for the sensors. Providing information on specifics, being very detail-oriented, making sure that uh, you can demonstrate the applications for the ideas and those sorts of things really help sensors. They um, want practical information. They want it presented sequentially. Um, they want to have a plan, a process. They, they want to listen carefully. Um, they, you know, really want to make sure it's all working well and um, so on before they're ready to move forward. And you need to make sure that um, you remember that sensors are not particularly fond of change. So um, when you're trying to pitch a new idea, you're going to really have to massage it before you get them on board. They're going to have to feel really good about it, and you need to do it with practicality and data, sensory kinds of things, uh, feel, touch, hear, see, um, and real-life images rather than metaphors and um, abstract concepts because that's not really the world they prefer to deal in. Now, your intuitives, on the other hand, um, they're open to all the possibilities. They're great at change. They anticipate it. They even create it. They're very future-oriented, and they can generate a lot of ideas, and they can pull uh, theoretical concepts together and really uh, get something out of it. They're excellent brainstormers. They love to brainstorm and um, get the possibilities out there. So when you're communicating with intuitive types, Try to be open to considering all the possibilities, even the ones that may seem a little bit far-fetched and like they're really not viable. But still, let them be put out there. Let that brainstorming happen. And provide an overview first. So if you're working with them, they need to see the big picture of where this is all going before you get into the nitty-gritty details. And that's usually a problem when you're um, when you've got sensing types and intuitive types in a room together, the sensing types want to get right into the nitty-gritty and the intuitives want to understand, well, what is this all about? Where are we going? What's the big picture here? So hopefully you're beginning to identify a little bit with how you are and you can think of examples in your work life where maybe there was a miscommunication or something going on because there simply was a difference in personality. 
Make sure that with the intuitives, you share the main points and then add some details, but don't give them the fire hose of detail because they really don't want that. Uh, they'll just glaze over and turn right off. And sort of stretch a little bit toward taking a future focus or a little bit longer term view, showing some of the future possibilities uh, because that's what they need to see. And trust that it's all going to work. Let them share their ideas. And you can provide a reality check for the sensing types in the room without discarding ideas. Uh, remember, the number one rule in brainstorming is to just let all the ideas get out there and not to judge them or criticize them uh, until we're finished getting them out in the world. So that's kind of the way the intuitives work. Now, the next preference that we have to work with in terms of communication is the um, the preference that has to do with how you prefer to make decisions. And there are thinking types, and they prefer to use a logical approach where they step out of the situation and look at it objectively to make a decision. And then there are the feeling types, which um, their mantra is, will anyone be hurt? They want to step into the situation and kind of try it on for size and see how it feels and how it's going to impact the people. Now, you got to be careful with this one because it's not that thinking types don't care about people, and it's not that feeling types aren't logical. That's not what it's all about. It's just really whether you step out and be take an objective look or whether you step in and try it on for size. That's the way I like to think of the major difference. So your thinking types tend to be calm and under control. They provide honest and frank feedback. They tend to be a little more analytical and evaluated um, and critique things. On an objective basis, they take the people out of it. Um, they use a clear thinking process usually. It's not that they don't care about the people, but it's not their first concern. The feeling types um, are really about rapport and empathizing. They want to be able to see the other person's perspective and appreciate it. They're nurturing and supportive. Um, they enjoy really collaborating and working in, on committees and cooperating um, because they like to get the people element in there. And it's important for them to um, create a harmonious environment. So those are the things that you need to consider when you're dealing with feeling types. Now, it's interesting, in American business, uh, the feeling types, especially feeling type men, um, aren't terribly um, re well respected, I think, in meetings and in business, if I could just say it that way, because we've always been taught to keep our emotions out of it and, you know, stay objective and be logical. And, um, you know, I think we're coming around to a more feeling perspective in the world of business today where we're caring a little more about our employees, certainly our customers, and so on. So again, there's no right or wrong here, but we need to have both in order to have well-rounded and effective communication. So when you're dealing with a thinking type, the way you want to be in terms of communication is calm and objective. And you always want to be demonstrating your competence and your confidence. They like honest and frank feedback and positive comments as well. And try to see the situation objectively and put the feeling part of it aside for just a minute. Support your opinions with logical reasoning 
and you know they care about the people too but their number one concern is the logic so be reasonable be clear be precise and be concise that's important and focus on the tasks the objectives the goals make sure that um, they don't feel attacked or challenged that they still feel like you're working together with them um, and show the cause and effect of things, the pros and cons, if you will. They really like that. And when you're communicating with the feeling type, you want to take time to get to know them and develop a rapport at the beginning of the communication, if you can. And you want to avoid um, critiquing and evaluating when you're listening. Focus on the people a little more. Make sure that they're valued and considered and important. Be friendly and approachable. Um, know when to provide feedback and do it in a respectful and gentle way. Remember, it's all about the feelings. And include per personal needs of people in, in the decision-making process. Connect first, challenge later. That's really a good um, way to look at it when you're working with feelings, feeling types. Acknowledge what they're doing and try not to overanalyze it. Um, they like to be uh, heard, they dislike competition, and they love creating win-win situations. So anytime you can make that happen, all the better. And finally, we have the judging and perceiving preferences. Judgers are all about action. Just do something. Perceiving types are all about options, and they are, let's wait and see. They want to make sure that all the options have come in to the um, discussion before they make a decision. A judging type is very interested in coming to conclusion. They like to make decisions. They'll make a decision, and if it's not the right decision, they simply make another decision. Perceiving types don't want to rush the decision. They want to make sure that they've covered all the bases, explored all the options, and they will fight making a decision until they absolutely have to. This is a big source of communication difficulties. Um, and the way you can deal with judging types is make some de decisions quickly. So maybe there are some smaller decisions that can be made very quickly without a lot of thought or discussion. And then try and get them to not come to conclusion too quickly on some of the bigger and more important issues. Avoid sharing too many options, which is one of the things that perceivers want to do, because they want to stay focused on what's most important, and they want to, you know, shut the conversation down, sometimes prematurely, in order to make the decision. So it's best to narrow your focus a little bit, uh, take bite-sized chunks, that way things might not get missed. Um, and when sharing information or assigning tasks, provide structure. Um, avoid adding the unexpected at the end, uh, 11th hour changes and things like that, because that, that's not going to be something they like. When you're communicating with the perceiving type, though, um, you've got to allow the time and the opportunity to explore more before making the decision. So judging types have to hold back on the need to make that decision quickly and allow enough time for discussion, maybe establish deadlines. So, you know, we're going to talk about this for so long, and then we're going to have to make a decision. Um, 
make sure you don't make decisions too quickly because they seek more information before deciding. And the reason it's important to have a balance of both of these preferences whenever you're communicating is you don't want to miss something good and make a decision too quickly not having all the information. On the other hand, you do need to make a decision. So having that balance is, is important. And be open to changing and be a little bit flexible. Uh, be willing to take a few steps into the plan without um, having everything laid out in um, the way a judge judging type would like to. And be more open and accommodating because those are the things that are going to make for a more successful give and take between those preferences. So I hope that you had a chance to recognize yourself on a few of those and that gave you a little bit more insight into how you can deal um, with people that you encounter that may have a different style than you do. So we're going to take a break and when we come back we're going to talk a little bit more about effective communication, uh, have a little uh, quiz we're going to take to see what kind of a listener you are, and then we're going to talk briefly about nonverbal communication. So come right back after the break. Are you tired of playing small in business or in your career? What could you accomplish if you were seen, heard, and given the opportunity? If you want more influence, more impact, and more income, join us at Women's Leadership U. That's the letter U. We are a mastermind program dedicated to preparing women for leadership roles. Learn the skills that employers are looking for and business owners need. Gain the confidence and know how to move your ideas into action. To learn more, visit us at womensleadershipu.com with a capital U. Okay, we're back. And in this segment, we're going to talk about the other half of communicating, which is listening, the receiving end. We've already talked about effective communication and how you need to have both. We looked at some communication styles, and now we're going to look at how it is to receive the communication and test your listening skills with a little quiz. So that should be fun. So listening seems to be a passive type of activity and easy, but we all know it takes discipline and focus to be a really good listener. There's so much going on in the world today, it's very hard to stay focused, and we all have a million and one things we're doing. It's very, very difficult to stay focused, especially on a conversation that maybe isn't germane to what you're thinking about or a top priority on your list or not all that interesting. So listening has to be more active than we may think. It seems to be passive and easy, but it's really more difficult, and that's why it's the source of some serious miscommunications. So most people think they really listen well, that they hear everything that people tell them, but there are those people that are listening when they're really telling themselves things. They're talking. They're wondering what they're going to do next. They're thinking about their calendar or what they're going to say next. And do they really comprehend what someone is saying um, when they're in that mode? And even if they are focused and listening, do they really comprehend what someone is saying behind the words that are being expressed? Because we all know, we've heard read between the lines, Sometimes what you're saying isn't the full story. We're either afraid to put everything out there or we're trying to be politically correct or whatever the issue. But you have to um, really think about the communication and make sure you're getting everything the, the person wants you to get. 
So when it comes to listening, it's the way we listen that determines what we hear. So it's the way we listen. And listening is an in-the-moment skill that only the very best possess because they practice it at every chance that they get. And listening being an in-the-moment skill requires that you can stay present, which I think is probably one of the most difficult things to try and do today with all the distractions and the interruptions that we have. But we all have the capability of being good listeners. We just need to work on it. So let's take a little listening quiz and see how you fare. If you have paper and pencil, get it out. And I'm going to ask you a series of questions. And you can just um, answer yes or no to these. So put the question number, and then you can put your yes or your no. And I'll tell you how to score them up at the end. So here we go. When you talk with someone else, do you, one, look directly at the other person? Two, observe the other person while listening to him or her? Three, decide from the other person's appearance and delivery of what they're saying whether he or she has something important to say? Four, listen primarily for ideas and underlying feelings? Five, determine your own biases, if any, and try to allow for them? Six, keep your mind on what the speaker is saying? Seven, interrupt immediately if you hear a statement you feel is wrong or that you don't understand. Eight, ensure that you've considered the other person's point of view before answering. Nine, try to have the last word, get the last word in. And ten, make a conscious effort to evaluate the logic and credibility of what you hear. Okay, so now you have your list of yeses and nos. Here's how we're going to score it. On question one, two, four, five, six, eight, and ten, that's question one, two, four, five, six, eight, and ten, give yourself ten points if you answered yes. Give yourself no points if you answered no. On questions 3, 7, and 9, give yourself 10 points if you answered no. That's question 3, 7, and 9. And give yourself no points if you answered yes. Now, if you had any you weren't sure about, and your answer would have been sometimes, you can give yourself five points on those instead of ten or zero. Now it's time to total everything up and finalize your score. And if you came up with 90 or better, then you are listening very effectively. Great job. If you came up with between 70 and 90, you're doing pretty well, but there are areas that you could improve on. 
But if you got less than 70, then you have considerable weaknesses in your listening skills. So how many of you had, have had an experience, think about this, um, of talking to someone and knowing that the other person hears you but hasn't really been listening to you? This happens a lot. So you know they're hearing you, but they're, you can just tell by their language, their body language, their eye contact and so on, that they're just not even paying attention. Either they don't respond, they don't interact, they have glazed over eyes, or they might ask you to repeat it. And how did that make you feel? Probably not very important or discounted, maybe even offended, angry, disrespected. So what about you? Have you ever found yourself hearing but not really listening to someone else? Let's take a look at what can cause this. You could be distracted by other thoughts. We've already talked about that a little bit. Distracted by the other person's strong emotions. Maybe you find them upsetting or maybe you're upset by them. The other person it may not be using an appropriate communication style or their language is, in, is offensive. Maybe it was something you really weren't interested in to begin with and it didn't concern you. So what we've just been talking about is really passive listening. When you hear what someone else is saying, but you're not really actively engaged in the communication process. You're more or less just being polite. And if we listen passively to people, we're likely to miss important information. We could offend the other person. And we could make the other person feel like we don't really care, that they're not important. There are a lot of costs associated with poor listening. And it can be extremely costly with coworkers, with employees, in networking events, and in your personal relationships. So the opposite of passive listening is active listening. And I'm sure you've probably heard about this term. It's not new. So passive listening is just hearing but not really becoming involved in the message or the communication process. It's just kind of giving their airtime respect, but not really being engaged. Active listening, on the other hand, is really trying to understand the meaning of the message and really being fully engaged in the communication process, which of course requires a little give and take. So I'd like you to consider the following. There's a, a process that you can use to improve your active listening skills, and it's called Listen with Care, C-A-R-E. So let's talk about what the CARE stands for. CARE is about concentrating. This means making a real effort to stay present and really be focused on the person that's speaking. The A stands for acknowledge. This is that validation we talked about at the beginning of the program, where through your body language or your, um, you know, your head nodding or saying uh-huh or something um, or right, you're, you're just acknowledging their conversation so that they understand that you're actually engaged in it. And then there's the R for respond. 
And that's where you're asking questions for clarification and to express your interest in the other person. So it's sometimes repeating back a little bit of what they said, asking for clarification. Can you give me an example of that? Or what do you mean by that? Because that shows you're really engaged. And finally, the E is for empathize, where you really share in the emotions and the feelings of the other person as they're speaking with you. Empathy means understanding, not necessarily agreeing. So it's okay to um, empathize even if you don't agree. And, as we all know, you can agree to disagree. So the next time you're involved in an important conversation, pause the mental and the verbal tape player in your head for a moment and start really listening. It's amazing what you will discover. And remember what we said in the first part of the program, everyone wants to and has a need to connect through communication. Especially with listening, we all want to be heard and listened to. And frankly, that is the, one of the top ways that you can show someone respect, um, build a better relationship. It makes you more attractive to do business with. It just helps to build that rapport so much more quickly. If we keep this in mind, it'll be easier for us to make a concerted effort to listen to others rather than focusing just on what we're thinking about or on the agenda that we came to the discussion with. And also remember what we say about communication being a two-way process. All parties involved in the communication need to have acceptance and agreement from others. So it's important that we make sure we're engaged and we work to help other people be engaged by respecting their communication style and trying to give them some things that they need in order to stay present, to stay focused, whether that's a big picture, uh, whether that's the details, whatever you, you come to understand that person needs. All those personality preferences we talked about are really a tool you can use to help you read people in terms of their needs. Do they need to think it through before they respond? Maybe they're present and doing that, but you're taking that as them not paying attention. Do they need more details and facts? Or have you painted a big enough picture to, for them to see the possibilities to help keep them engaged? Have you considered the feelings of others if you're talking to feelers? Or have you been objective and logical if you're talking and listening to those that are thinkers. And finally, have you let the conversation flow in such a way that you stayed focused for the judging types, but you also kept the options open for the perceivers? Because that way, lots of good ideas will get on the table, and the end result of your communication will be a better one. So we're going to take another break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about nonverbal communication and wrap it up. So we'll be right back. Are you a small business owner with a big vision? Does every day require too much of your personal involvement to take the next step? At Simple Small Business Solutions, we offer consulting and coaching to align your business reality with your vision for the future. Simple Small Business Solutions can help you put the pieces in place to get there. Clear your plate, reclaim your time, Get the freedom and flexibility you need to achieve your next success. Contact us at simplesmallbusinesssolutions.com. 
Okay, we're back. And in this last segment, we're going to talk about nonverbal communication, which surprisingly makes up 65% of the message that people get from you, and the verbal piece only 35%. 